to WBAI New York, 99.5 FM and WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces, where we always bring you the deeper discussion about the issues and people shaping our community and our country. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston, here as always with my ebullient co-host, Jeff Simmons. Jeff, how are you? I'm doing fine. And you know what? You know, I was going to say, let's talk about the heat. But I think what would really help our listeners and you and me is let's talk about the fact that winter is only a few months away from now. It's going to get much colder in a few months. So that's what we can focus on and it'll cool us off, Celeste. The power of positive thinking. <laughs> well, that's right. If you think about being cool, you will become cooler, right? And certainly the next few days, what is it, the next three days, Jeff? I think people are really going to have to get in that mindset for sure. Come- Completely. And a little selfish thing for me and you that we want to share with our listeners. Please take care of your pets. Don't take them out for too long of a period outside in this weather. Oh, my God. Right. Remember, if you cannot lay your hand flat on the pavement, your dog should not be walking on that pavement. So absolutely, Jeff, good advice. Very happy to be with you with you here today. So we just had sort of a little bit of a lighter moment, although extreme temperatures are a serious thing and something we can certainly talk about in a climate discussion not another program, but look, everybody who's listened to Driving Forces, since we launched this show nearly five years ago, if you can believe that, Jeff, we are coming up on five-year anniversary. Sometimes, you know, we like to look at the lighter side of things, and that's great, and we definitely all need that in our lives sometimes. But other times, and today is going to be one of those times, we have to look at really hard problems faced by our city and by our country. There are things we need to talk about, even if they're difficult and even if they're sad. So today we're going to be talking about maternal mortality and what New York can and should be doing to end it. Just a few weeks ago, a new study came out in the Journal of the American Medical Association on maternal mortality, and that's defined as people dying from pregnancy-related causes. And this news was grim. Bottom line, the number of deaths has more than doubled in the last 20 years. The rates were deemed unacceptably high across all ethnic groups, but the situation was worse for black, Native American, and Alaska Native women. Again, rates have more than doubled among black women. And in fact, they have more than tripled among Native people. So the outcomes varied across different parts of the country. In New York and New Jersey, the death toll rose among blacks and Latinas, while more Asian mothers died in Montana and Wyoming. And nationally, the rates are lower for white women. But in some areas, maternal mortality among whites is also going up. And maternal mortality is in many cases preventable. We know this for sure because other wealthy countries outside of the United States not only have much lower pregnancy-related death rates, but those rates are going down. According to data from the Commonwealth Fund, last year there were about 24 deaths per 100,000 live births in the United States. The number was much higher, about 55 deaths among black women. But in New Zealand, There were fewer than 14 deaths per 100,000 live births, and in Canada, less than nine. In Sweden and Switzerland, seven, and in Germany, fewer than four. Now, the COVID pandemic 
did put a huge burden on healthcare systems around the world, as we all know. That did have an effect on maternal mortality rates in some countries. But among the nations compared to the United States in that Commonwealth study I, I just mentioned, there was one big factor. The United States was the only country in its peer group that did not guarantee universal health care. Many of the other countries gave women access to free or at least affordable care. And at the same time, millions of people giving birth in our country may not have had health insurance coverage for the kind of good postpartum care that can save lives. Absolutely. And we just want to mention before we get deeper into this discussion that if this kind of conversation is important to you, talking about health care, talking about maternal mortality, talking about disparities in how people get treatment, how people get seen by doctors, how people live and die in New York, please take a moment, support this station, go to WBAI.org. Keep us on the air so we can keep having these vital, vital conversations with you. You're listening to Driving Forces. This is WBAI New York. We are discussing the maternal mortality crisis. And to help us understand what's really going on with maternal health in our city, and why that's the case. We're going to be joined right now by our first guest, Zahira McNaught, is the New York City Health Department's ex- assistant community, excuse me, assistant commissioner of the Bureau of Brooklyn Neighborhood Health. The commissioner has more than 15 years of experience in the Americas, the Middle East, East Africa, and Southeast Asia, and her work has spanned the academic, nonprofit, and government sectors. The commissioner now oversees the development of ways to address health inequities in North and Central Brooklyn. She's also instrumental in the Bureau's work to address systematic problems such as discrimination that contribute to community health difficulties and premature deaths. She earned her advanced degrees from Columbia and the University of Michigan. Without further ado, Assistant Commissioner Zahara McNaught, welcome to Driving Forces. Thank you so much for having me and uh, creating this great opportunity to discuss such an important issue. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time to discuss it with us. We do think it's important, and I know our listeners uh, will be very anxious to hear from you. So before we get into it, maybe just take a moment here. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to uh, be part of the city's focus on this important issue. Sure. Thank you so much. So I am originally from New York City, born and raised. Um, And as you mentioned in the introduction, I have spent some of my career in the United States and some of it um, outside of the United States, always working on issues of healthcare quality and public health and health inequity. Um, And recently I moved back to New York um, in late 2021 and had the honor of taking on this role and serving the city of New York and the residents of this city really with the aim of eliminating health inequities across a number of different domains, with maternal health being one important area of focus. My background is in public health and research and humanitarian response, and so I'm always thinking about the intersections between equity and justice and health outcomes. And so maternal health is such an important example of what we are not quite getting right in New York City and in the United States and in many other parts of the globe. And so we have great opportunities to work on eliminating maternal health inequities. And I'm glad to be serving with the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene in this role. 
Commissioner, it's great to have you with us here on Driving Forces on WBAI. Often we hear about, when we talk about inequities in our city, people compare borough to borough. And I'm really curious about how the maternal mortality situation in Brooklyn compares with the rest of the city, because I understand this is a significant issue in Brooklyn. Is this the epicenter of maternal mortality and why? Thank you so much for that question. So, I wouldn't say that Brooklyn is the epicenter of maternal mortality. What's important to understand is um, Brooklyn is doing a lot of work in this area because they have the largest amount of births and the largest amount of deaths in the city. Um, Those deaths, I will make sure to articulate, are proportional to the amount of births. Um, Also, that Brooklyn has the largest amount of births among black persons, black pregnant persons in New York City. So when we are thinking about these maternal health inequities, we are centering, as you all described in your introduction, the most marginalized. And what we know is that pregnancy, birth, and the postpartum experience is meant to be safe and joyous for birthing people of all identities. But in New York City, this inequity is dramatic. And so black women and birthing persons are nine times more likely to die from a pregnancy-related death than their white counterparts in New York City. Um, We also know that 75% of those pregnancy-associated deaths among black persons are preventable, as I think you all described in the introduction, and that compares to 43% being preventable among white birthing people. And so what we're recognizing is that these data points tell us that structural racism is a root cause of maternal health inequities in New York, Um, and this is what we're tackling as the New York City Health Department with brilliant, you know, colleagues in um, community-based organizations, faith-based organizations, hospitals, health centers, and many others. And so that work is happening across the five boroughs. Um, And Brooklyn has centered this work because they recognize that they have a large number of births and a large number of births among the most marginalized folks in New York City. We're speaking to Assistant Commissioner Zahara McNutt of the New York City Department of Health. Our topic today is maternal mortality. Commissioner, take us a little deeper into what this actually means. Why is there a dramatic difference, tragically, uh, a big difference between the death rates or uh, you know serious illness rates associated with pregnancy for black women or black people versus uh, Asians, whites, uh, Latina, any other group? Why, why is there a disparity between these groups and uh, white New Yorkers? Excellent question. And we'd like to be really pointed and direct about this, that there's been decades of research on this question in New York and across the country, and that structural racism is the root cause of these inequities and poor health outcomes. What does that mean? Um, I'll give a few examples. So when we think about structural racism during your pregnancy, that could be anything that influences where you live and the quality of your housing, um, where you live and the quality of the food that you have access to. It could influence the accommodations that are made for you in the workplace um, when you are pregnant. And we know that food, housing, employment, accommodations and employment, all of those things um, have structural racism and the impact of those um, experiences within them. And so we really have to acknowledge that racism arises in every aspect, particularly as we talk about black birthing persons today, um, in black birthing persons' lives, and we have to be able to acknowledge that. Another example is that when you go from pregnancy to the birth experience and you go from most New Yorkers to a hospital setting, 
We also see that the data tells us that structural racism exists in the hospital setting and is influencing the outcomes in the, you know, 48 hours that you're pregnant in the, or birthing in the facility. What does that look like? The data shows that black women and birthing persons are often not heard when they are expressing a concern that might actually lead to a complication, that they're often dismissed during that encounter or completely ignored. Um, that discrimination manifests in many different ways during that birth experience in the hospital setting as they encounter a variety of professionals um, who may mistreat them. That's not my opinion. That's the data showing us that, um, that black birthing persons, and I heard you mention data for Latina birthing persons and indigenous persons across the country, um, those outcomes for those populations are different in the hospital setting because of the level of dismissal, and the ignoring and the missing of the red flags that let us know that complications may arise. So those are a few examples of how structural racism manifests in the life of a pregnant person. I wanted to ask you a little bit more about this because I really do think this is important. I, I want to ask, uh, obviously, structural issues are a huge problem. This is something our entire society has to have a reckoning with, not just uh, Brooklyn or New York City or New York State. But <clears throat> pardon me, I just want to ask, is there um, anything that you advise or uh, that the health department would advise for people until those problems thankfully get solved someday that people can do to advocate for themselves. I, you know, you give the example of people not being heard, not being taken seriously. Supposing you are in a hospital preparing to give birth and you say, something's wrong, I'm in pain, uh, there's, you know, I see bleeding, I shouldn't be seeing something, and you feel that nobody is paying attention to you. How can you advocate for yourself or get somebody to advocate for you to avoid a, a horrible outcome? Excellent question, and thank you so much for that. Um, it, I really want to highlight a couple different things. I'm going to share two programs that I think your listeners might find important for their own pregnancy and birthing experiences, and then also highlight a little bit about the team that should be present to support you um, if you're pregnant and during the birthing experience and also during the postpartum journey. Um, the health department is responding to this issue in many ways, and so I won't have the time to share them all. But the two that I'd like to highlight can be found on our website, nyc.gov health. The first one is called the Citywide Doula Initiative, or CDI. Um, this was launched last year after a smaller pilot program has been in, in existence for about 12 years. And it provides um, pregnant persons with a doula to support them during pregnancy, birth, and um, for several months during their postpartum period. So and listeners just, might be uh, saying, break in what's for a doula? Second, Commissioner? For, for people who don't know what a doula is. Yes. So what's a doula? So a doula is a birth partner, and this is not a clinician, but it's a birth partner who helps with what you asked about, um, education, advocacy in the hospital. Um, also, they have really great hands-on skills for helping with the birthing experience. I mean, they're really brilliant, culturally appropriate partners um, in the journey. What we know is that when a family or a birthing person has a doula, we see lower preterm births. We see lower um, likelihood of low birth weight babies. We see improvements in um, breastfeeding rates. And so we are excited as a city to be offering doulas to folks across the city. We're also working on the doula pipeline, so creating more um, opportunities for careers for doulas. 
The second program I wanted to share quickly is the Nurse Family Partnerships Program, or NFP. This is also a home visiting program. So both doulas and nurses come to your home during this experience so that you can have the care you need right at home where it's um, easily available. In this case, nurses visit your home. They support you during pregnancy. They support you um, during birth. And they also support you for two years during your postpartum period, which is so important. So I mentioned these two um, programs because it's important to have the kinds of support structures that help you on the journey. Um, for example, do you have a midwife as part of your birthing experience? I would encourage it. Do you have a doula? We would encourage it. Do you have a birth plan? And are you in discussion with these actors as well as with your physicians in advance? Um, and do you have the kind of postpartum support for 12 months after you give birth um, that allows for folks to help you in the physical and mental journey as well as with your social service needs? And so that's the long answer. The short answer is building a really great team around yourself um, as you enter the pregnancy experience and folks that we don't often get to call out, like midwives and doulas and lactation counselors are key. And the second is that specifically doulas help you with that advocacy piece right in the hospital, right, right while you're giving birth as you engage with the hospital system. If you just tuned in, you're listening to Driving Forces with me, Jeff Simmons, and my amazing co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston, here on WBAI, New York 99.5 FM, also streaming live at WBAI.org. We're talking right now with Commissioner, New York City Department of Health Commissioner Zahira Miknot about mortality issues. And, you know, you were talking about surrounding yourself with a circle of people, of, you know, people who are supportive of you. I want to just flip that a bit. Do you have any thoughts on how doctors and other medical providers can adjust their thinking or their practices to help lower maternal mortality rates here in the city? Excellent. Thank you so much for the opportunity to highlight this as well. So we believe that physicians and surgeons and others are very important parts of the team that we described. And a lot of the work that's happening in the hospital setting right now across the city um, is really focused on improving the quality of the services within the facility and addressing structural racism as well as interpersonal racism and bias among clinicians and being creative about how to develop accountability for hospitals and for clinicians. Um, one program that the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene leads is called MHQIN, or the Maternal Maternity Hospital Quality Improvement Network. And this is a network that includes a number of hospitals across the city who have centered maternal mortality and are centering um, the, the goal of eliminating these inequities. And so, Physicians are very important in this role, and we highlight all of the diversity of practitioners um, that can support a pregnant person on this journey. And, uh, Commissioner, in the, in the few moments that we have left, uh, you know, I, I read something that you've said in the past where you said essentially that uh, maternal mortality rates can tell us something about a society and its priorities. And I'd really like to know, what do you think the maternal mortality rates of New York City tell us about ourselves? Thank you so much for the opportunity to, to expand on that. Maternal mortality in New York City, in the country, and across the globe tells us um, a number of things. It tells us that we have historically um, not valued women as much as we should. It's, it's, has, 
is telling us that we historically have not valued black girls, black women, and black birthing persons as much as we should, true for Latina communities as well as for indigenous communities. And so I often think that maternal health, um, because it's such an important and vulnerable moment in the lives of a, of a human being who resides in New York City, that if we don't get this right, we are confirming that we we are undervaluing a whole important piece of our population. And so the journey of eliminating maternal health inequities to me is not only dealing with the clinical issues and the social service issues, but it's also dealing with the, uh, the structural concern that we must value women more and we must value the most marginalized women and birthing persons who are experiencing the most disinvestment and disenfranchisement and in New York as black women and black birthing persons. Commissioner, I want to thank you so much for joining Celeste and me here on WBAI this afternoon. Please, before you go, remind our listeners once again on where they can go to learn more about you and your work and about this issue that we're talking about. Yes, thank you again so much for highlighting this issue in the way that you are. Um, Your introduction was just so impeccable and spot on on what the challenges are, but also what solutions sit before us. To learn more about our programming in the New York City Health Department, you can visit nyc.gov slash health. You can also call 311 for the services that I described and for a myriad of other services for you when you're pregnant and when you're postpartum. Thank you so much. Commissioner Zahara McNaught, I want to thank you so much for joining Celeste and me here on WBAI. Thank you so much uh, on, on being part of this conversation today. Thank you, and stay cool. <laughs> we hope to. Thank you. Celeste, uh, you know, what's so interesting about this is, you know, this was an issue that uh, – that came up briefly, and I know we're going to t- elaborate on it a lot more uh, with our next guest soon, but this was an mm-hmm. issue that just came up with one of my guests on our Sunday show recently, the uh, Bronx Borough president, who's studying this issue as well. Uh, so, you know, it's across the city. I feel like this is getting more attention right now, as it deservedly should. Oh, absolutely. And, and I'm looking forward to talking about that, certainly with our next guest. But I- Really, I mean, the reason I wanted to have this conversation in part is because why does it have to be getting more attention, Jeff, right? Why should it not have had attention all along? And why are we in the position that we're in? I mean, uh, you know, this is not even a conversation about uh, being super gung-ho or, or talking about, like, American exceptionalism. But basically, the United States is not a country that doesn't have a ton of money. The, the United States is not a country that doesn't have a ton of people who provide health care and can provide very good health care. The, the issue seems to be who's getting that very good health care, how much it costs, um, and you know, are people being treated differently? Now, look, I don't want to, I don't want to go all the way down a huge rabbit hole, but yeah, there are certainly there are things, and everybody knows this. There are certain things that you can do to protect your own health. I mean, really obvious stuff. Um, eat the right foods, get exercise, don't smoke. You know, all these things that you can do to take care of your own health. Like that stuff aside, though, if two identically or very, very similarly situated people are getting totally different standards of care. I, I think that's what what uh, the commissioner was talking about just a moment ago, Jeff. You know, and also what was crossing my mind, Celeste, and this is going back. I know it's a, a, an ongoing issue and it's not isolated here in New York, but I'm remembering during my time in the controller's office, one of the things we looked at was uh, about language access, that 
you know, in different facilities, people felt they were not being uh, understood. They were reluctant to talk with certain medical professionals who they felt did not completely understand them. You know, this this is an issue that you know, a disparity that is happening across the country. This is not just isolated here in New York. Right. Absolutely. And and if you look at I just I really think, you know, going back and, and you were you had given us the part earlier in the program um, about the differences between the rates in the United States and the rates in other countries. Again, I mean, this is going back um, uh, to what we were speaking about a little bit earlier um, in the United States, uh, 24 deaths per 100,000 live yeah. births. And you know what that you could say? I mean, you'd be wrong, but you could say like, oh, only 24, only 24. Okay, it's not only 24. And then that number goes up to 55 per 100,000 live births among black women. In Germany, that number is four, four. Okay, that's a difference. That's an order of magnitude difference. And if you want to say, well, oh, it's only that many. Okay, that's only that many people that are no longer on the planet. Right, Jeff? I mean. It's just I yeah, don't mean to get like, too, too like worked up about it, but I think that people look at these numbers and they say, oh, well, those numbers are relatively small, like relative to what? Relative to not being alive. <laughs> well, you know, we talk about numbers and you and I have talked about this before. You know, I hate just citing numbers without really considering the individual human impact. The fact right. that these are people, these are real people who are experiencing this. So even like one number where you know, or one person that is impacted, this isn't changing their whole life. So, you know, that's why I'm glad that you wanted to, to do this topic. And I'm glad that we regularly talk about topics like this here on Driving Forces, Celeste. Right, absolutely. And that, that actually uh, brings us to a very good point. What a good, what a good segue, Jeff. You're always there. You're always there for me. Uh, but Jeff is right that this is a good moment to remind you, to remind everybody listening today that we can only bring you these kinds of vital discussions with your help. This is non-commercial WBAI. We don't rely on corporate America to stay on the air. We rely on real New Yorkers like you. In fact, not just like you, like actual you. You. We need your help. This station does not exist without you. BAI will go off the air, will go silent forever without the support of everyone who listens. Most of us, Jeff and I included, are volunteers. We work hard to bring you good programming. We take this very seriously, and we do it for New York, but we cannot do it without New York. It only takes a minute to support free speech, independent radio. Please go today to WBAI.org. Stand up for free speech radio. That is WBAI.org. So again, this is Driving Forces. We're focusing today's show on maternal mortality. Our next guest is someone who's taking a multifaceted approach to address this tragic problem. Antonio Reynoso is the first Latino to hold the office of Brooklyn Borough President. Born and raised in Brooklyn, he is the son of Dominican immigrants. Borough President Reynoso formerly represented District 34 in the New York City Council, and it served uh, parts of Bushwick, Greenpoint, and Williamsburg in Brooklyn, as well as Ridgewood and Queens. He lives in Williamsburg with his wife and two sons, and as Borough President, he has made maternal health a major priority. Borough President Reynoso, welcome back to WBAI. Thank you for having me, Jeff. Appreciate it. How are you? I'm doing fine, and we're not going to get into the fact that the last time you and I talked on BAI, you did get on my case about taking a car versus biking. We'll do that another yes, time. Yeah, I was going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> but I do take mass transit more than drive a car. Okay, let's get to the serious topic. The city and the borough have many pressing problems. 
why have you focused so closely on this issue, maternal health and preventing maternal mortality? Uh, well, it all came from personal experience, and I wish it wouldn't. I wish that the way we tackled this issue was based on need, uh, and it is one of the grossest inequities that exist in our society. It's black women specifically dying at 9.4 times their white counterparts or the rate of their white counterparts. And there is arguably no greater inequality that exists in any other system uh, or infrastructure in our city. Um, my wife uh, was having her first, our first baby in Woodhull Hospital, and one of the midwives came to us and gave me that statistic, and it made me feel powerless. I was helpless alongside my wife as she was having our baby. She could succumb to, to a multitude of issues. Um, during pregnancy, and again, because I felt helpless, I said, I never want to feel that way again. If I ever get an opportunity to affect meaningful change on maternal health, I would. And then I got elected to be borough president, and I've committed to maternal health and improving the outcomes um, here in Brooklyn. And we've uh, since then, we've, we've taken off running, and I really feel good about the, the work we've done initially to try to address that issue and make Brooklyn the safest place in all of New York City for all women to have babies. You're listening to WBAI New York, 99.5 FM and WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons. Today we're talking about the maternal mortality crisis. And right now our our guest is Brooklyn Borough President Antonio Reynoso. Borough President, thank you again for joining us. We really do appreciate it. And you've taken the unusual step, perhaps the unprecedented step, I believe, of devoting your entire fiscal year 2023 capital budget among three hospitals, uh, New York City Health and Hospitals, Kings County, uh, South Brooklyn Health, and Woodhull. All the money. You have put all the money into this issue. I'm wondering, was that a hard decision for you to make, uh, either politically or emotionally, with so many people saying that they have desperate problems? And, and what do you hope this spending is going to do for, for the people of Brooklyn? Absolutely. It, it was a difficult decision. At first, uh, this office traditionally has a ton of money, uh, capital dollars, that it spreads out throughout all of Brooklyn for um, uh, a bunch of infrastructure. We're talking schools, libraries, museums, the Botanic Gardens, roads, you know, parks. There's just a ton of things that we could be spending our funding on. The problem we have with maternal health is exactly that. We've been tinkering at the edge and tinkering in the margins. And we've affected no meaningful change in the progress. Um, over the last 20 years, the maternal health rate or death, uh, mortality rate and morbidity rate has either stayed the same or increased. Um, and I felt that I was either going to do something and, and actually affect change or, or, um, or I wasn't going to do anything. So I decided that all the funding was going to go to our three public hospitals. Um, and I don't want just new paint jobs and new beds and new wallpaper and new flooring. We're going to have state-of-the-art, internationally renowned sites in our public hospitals. It is What we want to do is people come from all over the world to come have babies in Brooklyn's public hospitals, which is something that is unthinkable right now. But the way we're going to do it, that's the, that's the change we want to make. I can't talk about the details of what these maternity wards or maternity health centers will look like, but they are going to be extraordinary. I also oh, do want to thank the non-for-profit. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're talking about meditation rooms. 
um, hot tubs, uh, water bursts, uh, massage therapy, like all, uh, uh, the experience that you should have, right? This is a journey um, for new mothers um, that should be precious. It should be sacred. And it, and it shouldn't just be uh, going in and coming out. It shouldn't. It, it should be an experience that you, you cherish and that is memorable in a positive way. And the environment in which you have that is important. Um, so we're trying to add things to these rooms um, that are meaningful and that will really not only help in the process of birthing, but also um, in the process of healing and uh, accepting the journey as a positive, as a positive thing. Um, and I want to thank all these not-for-profits. I called them. I called the Brooklyn Academy of Music. I've called, I called the library, and I said, this is what I want to do. And they all said, we get it. Go do it. We understand how important this is. We'll call you next year for funding. And I got a great reception from all of these cultural institutions and the community. So I'm, I'm just grateful to Brooklyn for always standing up. Borough President, you also you created this maternal health task force, and uh, recently, just about a what, about two weeks ago, less than two weeks ago, you hosted a maternal health expo at Borough Hall. Uh, before we get into the expo and what you know what you took away from that, or tell us a little more about the task force, who's on it, and what it will do. Yeah, so I'm 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 the enthusiasm, I guess, behind it. I care about this. I'm an advocate for it, but I'm not an expert. And I think for too too much or for too long, um, we don't advise, we don't get advice, or we don't center the people most affected um, at, in at the table to make these decisions. So I have eight black and brown women that are all on my task force: uh, health experts, uh, midwives, doulas, uh, not-for-profits that have been fighting to 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 ensure safe outcomes during pregnancies. So I just have an extraordinary group of people, and they keep me in line. They tell me what works. They tell me what doesn't work. They refuse to allow for us to move forward with any fluff, right? No ceremonial work. Everything has to actually have meaningful outcomes, um, and it's been, it's been amazing. So I kind of just wait for the next recommendations that come down from the task force, and I go push them. Um, yeah, I'm more of the advocate and their voice box, right? their boom box here in Brooklyn, um, and I just amplify what they need, they believe needs to be done to affect meaningful change in this. So I'm uh, deeply grateful to our maternal health task force, and it also includes representatives from health and hospitals and the Department of Mental Health and Hygiene in the city of New York. So this is an interagency work as well. The mayor's office has actually been very helpful to us in the work that we're doing with maternal health. And Borough President Reynoso, we'll, we'll get to talk about the expo in a minute because I, I saw some coverage of that and it looks like there was a lot going on that a lot of people could uh, really learn from and, and really, you know, take resources from. But just generally, I mean, looking at the numbers, I mean, this is a dire situation. You are putting a focus on it. You are putting uh, public money into it. But what do you think of the job the city is doing Um when it comes to protecting people's health, we, we spoke earlier with the uh, assistant commissioner uh, McNaught, who you know was saying, frankly, we have to do better. Uh, what, what is your feeling on on how um, New York City's public health authorities are are handling this? If if black uh, people who are giving birth are you know nine times uh, likelier to be at risk yeah. of dying in the process. Yeah, well, Assistant Commissioner McNaught is a, is a, is a blessing. Um, she's absolutely amazing. And for to be from the system, 
and still be able to be critical of it is a very important thing. Um, not, nothing is perfect. Everything can be improved upon. And having McNatt on the task force, she's also on our task force, being very critical of the very institution that she's in charge of handling has been, has been good because it's not BS. We're doing real work. Um, but it, it's, it's terrible. There are, there are basic things that we've known for over the last for a century that can affect meaningful change for outcomes here, including, for example, ensuring that every single uh, new birthing person has a midwife. And we have two public hospitals that didn't have midwives in Kings County and Coney Island Hospital. No midwives. Right? And we know that having a midwife improves alcohol. It's just straight, like, statistically, statistically proven already. And data has been set forth that this saves lives. They, when we gave this funding, we still had issues with Kings County not having midwives. We still had issues with Coney Island or, or South Brooklyn not having midwives. So I talked to Dr. Katz at H&H. I said, hey, I want to leverage this funding that I'm giving to these hospitals, but you have to uh, help me here and expand the midwifery services in these hospitals. And I think it took him maybe two hours he called me back, and he said that they just started a program to train more midwives to add them to the work that they're doing in Kings County and Coney Island. So they listened and responded to it. But, Celeste, when you just think about that, we already know this. This is information that is not new to us, and we've done, we've, we haven't acted on it. And that's the problem. It's also um, you know, it's hard to, to feel like this idea that black women are like at the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to advocacy. It just, it, 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 I can't imagine anyone else being 9.4 times um, in, in, a, in, a, in a state of, of a physical health or a potential death and it not be something we address in a meaningful way. This is the only thing. So it's hard not to sit here knowing we could do something about it in the greatest city in the world with all the resources we have and that we are doing worse than some undeveloped countries um, in, in this world. So it, it, it's brutal, um, and it's terrible, and we have a lot of work to do. Um, and my work is going to make a difference, but it's not going to end the problem. I do want to take a moment to, as promised, get back to the expo, because it sounds like uh, you know this is the chance for people to actually come in when they're not in a crisis situation, when it, you know, to be able to walk in and calmly talk to people about this issue, find out, uh, you know, educate themselves. So tell us a little bit uh, about the expo. Yeah, so a big part of what we're doing, the infrastructure is important, but education is the number one. The one thing that can help outcomes is a pregnant person seeing a doctor every single month before having the baby, which is not common. Uh, the, the prenatal work, the work that's happening before they get pregnant, like just education in general about how to have the healthiest outcome needs to get the people thinking about getting pregnant or people that are pregnant. That's the work that we need to do. Um, and it's very hard. Um, I want to make it so that uh, when you're pregnant, you know exactly what you're supposed to do. It's common knowledge. Um, everyone understands the process, and it's just, it's just something that we don't think about because we've done such a good job on the education part. But it isn't about eating healthier, um, understanding diets and their implications, understanding historical health complications, like uh, um, a black woman's ability to coagulate, um, hypertension, diabetes, and understanding what each of those things mean to a healthy outcome. So the education component was extremely important to the Maternal Health Task Force. So we decided to do this expo where we brought all the experts that you could possibly imagine in this field. And any pregnant person that came in 
was able to receive that information. And then there are other things. There's information related to um, anyone in poverty to be able to get a child seat um, for a vehicle. You're not allowed to take your baby out of a hospital without a safety seat. And we give those out for free. Um, there's a, you know, there's a other, re- like, so there are diapers and, 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 and wet naps and, and there's a ton of resources um, that makes it so that they're not thinking about how to purchase diapers over feeding the baby, for example, and also encouraging breastfeeding and, and doing all types of things that are really deeply important for uh, pre, during, and post-pregnancy. Um, and the Expo allows us to do that information or that educational component of the work that we think is deeply important. And, Burr, President, I'm sure you're going to do another expo, so definitely keep in touch with Celeste and me. Uh, we would love to be able to mention this on the future show, too, when you have your next expo. Before you go, please let our listeners know, because this is a very important issue, if they want to learn more about your work on maternal health or find the resources to protect their own health, where they should go. Well, we have a, a website. Uh, it's brooklyn-usa.org. If they go there... We have an entire, every single resource, the resource guide towards um, how and what you can do and what is available to you through the city of New York. Um, so we want to make sure people go on that website. is brooklyn-usa.org, and you get all the information. We also try to put up uh, as many ads in areas where uh, black women are most affected by maternal health. Um, so there will be ways to scan through your phone and just websites. So please uh, go on our website, the Brooklyn Borough President's website, and there's a special tab specifically for this initiative. So uh, we'd love for folks to go on. Brooklyn Borough President Antonio Reynoso, I want to thank you so much for joining Celeste Katz-Marston and myself here on WBAI today. Thank you for having me. Don't forget to spread love. It's the Brooklyn Wing. We will not forget. Thank you, Borough President. You are listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live at WBAI.org. Coming up, we'd like to hear from you. We are opening the phone lines right now, 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. Call in with your thoughts about what New York and America can do to address the maternal mortality crisis. Has someone in your family, has someone in your circle of friends been touched by this did you experience problems with your health or your health care when you were pregnant the number again 212-209-2877 that's 212-209-2877 again we want to thank you for supporting this station please go to wbai.org to keep us on the air we will be right back Kept 
Welcome back to Driving Forces here on WBAI 99.5 FM New York and also streaming live at WBAI.org. That was Christina Aguilera. Uh, I, you know, Celeste, you always pick good songs. I'm always impressed. I tend to just use ones I hear on TV shows half the time, but you always put an extra effort in that. We are talking about maternal mortality rates here in New York and America, and the phone lines are open. So please give us a call. We've got about maybe Seven, a little less than that minutes left, 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. We know we have a caller on the line, so let's get to that first call. Welcome to WBAI. You are on the air. What's your name and what's on your mind today? Hi, good afternoon. Uh, my ass here. Um, very interesting program. I'd like you to um, clarify for the audience um, how... Um, Antonio Renozo spells in particular his last name. He mentioned a website for um, Brooklyn-USA, and then I'm not sure whether it's com or org or dot, whatever. And I'd like to share, I heard a report on um, another station as listening to the news, and a young woman who was an up-and-coming soccer star, I can't remember her. I think her first name began with a B, but she literally died um, giving birth. So if you have any information and can clarify uh, some of the uh, points I just mentioned, I'll listen over the air. Thank you. Thank you very much for your call. Jeff, you are the uh, you are our resident expert. I know that you are scrambling, but uh, for Antonio Reynoso, he is the borough president of Brooklyn. His last name is spelled R-E-Y-N-O-S-O. That's R-E-Y-N-O-S-O. 
And I'll jump in with, just so you know, his uh, Brooklyn Borough President's website, which is important because that's going to give you uh, all the links that you need when you're able to go there. You'll be able to check the newsroom on there, and that'll show you even some of the announcements he's made on this issue and others. That is brooklynbp.nyc.gov. Really nice-looking website, by the way. I had not seen this before today. It's a beautiful-looking website. For anyone who did that, you got some props there. Uh, but Brooklyn, yeah, brooklynbp.nyc.gov. Um, you know, I don't know if we have any other callers on the line yet, but Celeste, before we even get to them, I just want to, you know, thank you again for choosing this topic because it is something that even the, uh, the Bronx Borough president had brought up. And I'm really glad to see that it is being highlighted more and that we were able to bring on someone from the Department of Health and Mental Hygiene to talk about this issue. Again, this is not isolated to this administration. This has been going on for, for a while. Right. And I certainly, well, maybe uh, the efforts to address it have been going on for a while and may have been increasing certainly the problem. And I think this is where you were going with that, Jeff. So I'm not correcting you there, but I'm sort of agreeing with you rather that this is something that we have known about for a very long time. And I think both of our guests really underscored that. And again, in the few moments we have, you still have uh, a few moments here. Call in 212-209-2877-212. 209-2877. I think all of us, especially in a city as, as populous as New York, know somebody who has been affected by this, somebody in your family, somebody in your circle of friends. I certainly know somebody, um, a young, uh, young woman that I was uh, working with, that I became good friends with, that really admired a lot, was talking one day about, you know, we should do a story about this, about... Um, maternal mortality and specifically black maternal mortality. And then as it turned out, she had a very tragic experience with her own pregnancy. So yeah, I think we all know people who are, uh, or could be, uh, or have been in this situation. We're going to go back to the phones. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where you're calling from? What are your thoughts today on maternal mortality? Hello. That's you. Hi. Oh, good evening. Uh, I'm calling from Brooklyn. Uh, with, uh, with infant mortality rate in pregnancy term, would stress play a part on the development and the birth and afterbirth of a, of a woman? Because, like, uh, I was reading somewhere where 60% of the babies that are born in, in, in our neighborhoods now are one-parent household. You only have uh, the woman, so uh, apparently she's under. She's probably under a lot of stress, and uh, she, the support isn't there. Uh, would that play a part in it? Uh, well, I want to thank you very much for your call. Always nice to hear uh, from Brooklyn. And yeah, I think that uh, certainly, you know, just in, in reading about this, uh, you know, in general, and then specifically in preparing for this story. Um, and in this case, we're talking about maternal mortality, the, the life of the person or the end of the life of the person giving birth rather than the baby. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Because this, uh, this, topic that we're talking about encompasses not just people 
dying in childbirth, not physically being in the act of giving birth and then uh, losing their life. But this could be in a postpartum period after you give birth. Again, this includes everything that has to do with pregnancy-related deaths. So certainly stress, poor follow-up or lack of follow-up care, infection, uh, you know, lots of things, underlying conditions that get out of hand uh, after the baby is born while, while uh, the pregnancy is going on or after the baby is born. Certainly, again, I'm not a doctor. I'm not pretending to be a doctor or a doula, a midwife, a public health expert, but certainly from what I have read, all of these things could certainly play a part. Thank you for your call. We have time for one more caller. I think we're going to have to make it very, very brief. So if you can make it very, very brief, WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where you're calling from? Yes, hello, Dave from Queens. Um, okay, what's your what's your you very me? brief comment? Yes, uh, I wonder if there's a breakdown as far as the um, rates of uh, complications or deaths uh, between hospitals like Wild Cornell, Columbia Presbyterian, and Mount and Mount Sinai versus the so-called outer lesser quality hospitals and doctors in the uh, Queens, Brooklyn. And, um, you know, Bronx and Staten Island, because I know that the quality of care is much higher in Manhattan. And they did a whole survey 25 years ago, and they did a phony baloney rebranding and rebranding pretty, you know, poor quality hospitals as partnerships. So I know that the quality that you get in certain hospitals in uh, the outer boroughs are inferior. Thank you. Thank you for your call. And uh, Jeff, I don't know if you want to weigh in on that, but certainly um, uh, the city of New York, uh, specifically, if you go to NYC Open Data, you can get many more breakdowns. I don't know Mm -hmm. if it's broken down by every single hospital, but certainly geographically by demographics, you can get that information. You can go to data.cityofnewyork, one word, U.S. And you can search for pregnancy-associated mortality. I'm sorry we don't have time to go further into that, but that's if you want to look on the City of New York website and look for the data on pregnancy-related mortality, that's where you can get that information. Very quickly, we want to thank today's guests, uh, Health Department Assistant Commissioner Zahira McNaught and Brooklyn Borough President Antonio Reynoso. Thanks to our engineer, Reggie Johnson, and to all of our faithful listeners and callers. We appreciate every single one of you. Extra special thanks, of course, to everyone who's going to go to WBAI.org right now to support the station. Jeff, you back on Sunday. I will be back here with City Watch Sunday morning at 8 a.m. with my co-host Carlos Menchaca. And then you and I, Celeste, are going to be back here next Thursday at this time. We're going to be joined by former Democratic Representative Mondaire Jones, who's just recently announced that he's running for Congress to regain his old seat in the in New York's 17th district. That's a conversation you won't want to miss. Absolutely. But if you did miss any part of the show or you want to share it or you want to subscribe, we upload every edition to Apple, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. This has been Driving Forces with Celeste Katz, Marston, and Jeff Simmons. Thanks for listening and stay tuned to WBAI New York for more great programming. See you on the radio.